Good morning, Grace. So grateful to continue our series on the true gospel. And I, I think it's awesome to hear from Regalos de Amor this morning, just because it's going to go really well with what we're talking about in, in this series. And before we start, or before we start getting into the topic of today, I want to keep the mission of the series up front. It's not just about, or the goal isn't just about pointing out false gospels and pointing out why they're wrong or why we might be right. The mission of the gospel could be described like this. The kind of gospel we believe and teach directly determines the kind of disciples produced. The kind of gospel we believe and teach directly determines the kind of disciples produced. And what we're going to be seeing are different gospels throughout each week. Last week, Pastor Tim touched on the forgiveness-only gospel. And I'd also want to point out that before these are false gospels, they are incomplete gospels. And, and Pastor Tim explained last week that, yes, we are justified through Christ. Yes, we are forgiven our debt. But if we don't go along with the, with the following context of, of the gospel, which is to follow Christ, then it is incomplete and it'll make us false disciples. So the point he shared was the true gospel creates disciples that are forgiven followers of Christ. And yet that is the importance of, of being on mission as disciples of the, of the true gospel. And today we're going to be looking at the consumer gospel. And here's the point real quick. I, I want to start off with the point we're going to be fleshing out. It's the true gospel produces disciples who leave comfort for a selfless life. The true gospel produces disciples who leave comfort for a selfless life. When I was told I would have the opportunity to share on this topic, I immediately knew that God was going to be doing some digging and some pushing of buttons in my own life because this is my struggle, church. As someone who, who leads and, and whose focus is on service production, who has a passion for music, when I sit into a service or, or when I'm listening to a sermon or I go to a conference, I get so distracted by just seeing the technical achievements because all I'm thinking about is what can I, what can I do better? What can I grab from them that they're doing well that I can do well? And all my, all my focus goes on that rather than seeing truly what God has in store for me and what he's speaking into my life. And this is, again, what I struggle with, the consumer gospel thinking about my own wants and desires. And, and as we got into the passage, or as I got into the passage, and I also made the mistake thinking that that was the only thing that God was pointing out to me. And so what I want to or what I hope to share this morning is how the consumer gospel might be keeping us from the, finding the significant life that Christ is calling us to? How might the consumer gospel be keeping you, be keeping me from the significant life that Christ is calling to us to, a life on mission and a life for the true gospel? And so we'll start by asking ourselves, what is the consumer gospel? The consumer gospel is the belief in Christ. So long as we get something out of it, is the belief in Christ so long as it doesn't make us too uncomfortable. And it can be seen in two ways. I think when our relationship with God is thinking God is there to meet my desires and meet my comfort. 
And the second way might be with the church. The church is there to meet my desires and my comfort. It's, it's really similar to the way we think about entertainment, the way we think about music, the way we think about movies. We want our senses to be, to, to be on focus. We want the church to make sure that they provide everything for us. And, and we can see this, in, I think, in three different ways. I, I just want to mention three diagnostic questions that we could ask ourselves right now to see if and when we might fall into the consumer gospel. These might seem silly, but, but I think we, we've heard of them enough just here at the church. So the first question is, how affected am I when I don't get to sit in my same seat every Sunday? And I'm telling you, we've heard, of, we've heard this enough times. And when leaving the service, do I meditate on the word given or do I dwell on how the music sounded? Do I dwell on how many times the slides person didn't hit the next slide? <laughs> and the third question that, I, that I, I hope we can think about is, do I participate in the benefits of the church without sacrificially giving do I participate in the benefits of the church without sacrificially giving? Again, the consumer gospel is the belief in Christ that is based on our comfort. But church, when, when that comfort isn't met, when the church doesn't provide enough for you or what you want, it's so easy that, to then turn away and find our desires met elsewhere. So what does this create in us? I think it creates a people who are self-indulgent, people who just want more and more. It also creates a people who are addicted to desire, who will do anything to make sure that their desires are met. And it also creates in us impatient people. Because if we don't get what we want quickly, then we, we grow impatient for that. And I think this is also difficult because we live today in a nation that's proud of our freedom to pursue our happiness. Not only that, but today, faster than ever, it is to get your desires met. If you want entertainment, it's at the palm of our hands. It's so quick, it's so quick to get what we want today. And our self-indulgence is fed by this, by obtaining all our wants so quickly. And then that translates into our church. And our churches suffer. Our churches suffer because we replace the slow and difficult path of authentic spiritual maturity with methods and programs that give fast and easy results. Sometimes we want microwavable church microwavable gospel, something that I can get quick because I want to see results quickly in my life. But church, that is not what we see in scripture. And again, if those results aren't easily seen in your life or, or, or in our life or when those results come too slow, well, it's easy to then look away and find our desires met elsewhere. And when somebody hurts our pride, and when somebody offends our pride because we're engaging the church, church, it's so easy then to run away and find our desires met elsewhere. 
And the consumer gospel church is the enemy of discipleship because we put ourselves at the center. And it turns the church into a cruise ship rather than a battleship. The consumer gospel is the enemy of discipleship. And again, keeping our, our series mission up front, this series is about discipleship as more or as much as it is about pointing out different gospels or false gospels. So what we want to do today is see how the true gospel would change this mindset of consumerism. Again, the point, the true gospel produces disciples who leave comfort for a selfless life. So now that we've explained what the consumer gospel is, how that might be feeding into our lives, or how we might be then choosing a church because we want the best kids ministry for our kids, because we want coffee on Sunday morning, because the music sounds like this, because the pastor communicates like this, all of those things feeding into how we engage the church. And again, nothing, nothing completely wrong with that. Yes, the church does provide some of that. But when that is the sole focus of our church engagement, and that's where we, we lose the mission of the gospel. So again, how do we change this consumerism? We're going to be diving into Philippians 2. So if you'd like to open up there. The passage will also be up on the screen. And as you're doing that, I'll give you a few seconds. I want to give some quick context of what's going on. Paul is writing to the Philippians like he usually is. He's in prison. And just before this chapter, um, in chapter 1, as he finishes, he's saying, you will suffer for the sake of Christ. And he's saying to the Philippians, you know what I've been through. You know what I'm going through today. So see this as an encouragement. So he continues now in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So he's saying, yes, there will be suffering, and you will suffer for the sake of Christ, but if there is any encouragement of being in Christ, of being part of the body of Christ, of being in his love, and being participants of the Spirit, he says, complete my joy by being one, by being of the same mind, and having the same mission and goal. So this is the what. This is what, what we are to do. And now in verses 3 and 4, he goes to the how. How do we do this? Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And I want to pause there. What does selfish ambition mean? That means wanting to put ourselves above the other. The attempt to put ourselves above the other. And it implies rivalry. As if we are in competition with the people next to us. Or conceit. Do nothing from conceit. What does conceit mean? It's a baseless pride. A pride that has, has no meaning. It is empty is another way to put it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. 
but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I think it's really interesting the way Paul puts it here because he gives a solution to both of those things that he just told us not to do. He says, in humility, what does humility mean? It's being without arrogance, not counting yourself more than others, counting more others more significant than yourselves than would make us less selfish, ambitious people because we're not thinking that we need to be above the other person. We're thinking, I ought to count this person more significant than me. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, the true gospel produces disciples who leave comfort for a selfless life. And scripture teaches us, church, that consumerism mindset is what we just saw, selfish, ambitious, or self-ambitious and conceit. I just want to point us out real quick to the illustration, I think, of King David. Everyone knows that his great sin was lust and adultery. But church, we can't skip over the fact that he chose comfort before his responsibility as king. So it's in the spring of the year where, where kings are supposed to be going out to battle. And David sends out Joab. David sends out all of Israel. But he stays back. And it says that it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. He was lounging around on his couch. He was lounging around through the king's house. And then this leads him to see a beautiful woman bathing. A woman that he then takes for himself. Because pride leads us to a false claim of comfort. That conceit that Paul is talking about leads us to a false claim of of comfort. Pride is going to lead us to consumerism. Yet that's not, again, what we see in this passage. That's not what we see in scripture. And how might that then play in to the way we choose our churches, the way we engage with the church? Well, if it's all about my comfort, then all I have to do is come in and sit and take and take and take. And again, church, this is my struggle too. It's not an attack on you. It's uh, hopefully an awareness to all of us. How we might, must be aware that church isn't just about your desires being met. It's not about just taking. It's not about just choosing because, again, the music sounds good, because the speaker speaks the way you like, because the people around you might look like you or the people around you have the things that you have, all of that goes far away from what we see in Scripture. And if Jesus is calling us to live for others and to count others more significant than ourselves, church, fundamentally, you come to church for others. Fundamentally, you come to church for others. And I think that's so different from what we see today. Because it's all about refreshing my heart, refreshing my mind for the week to come because I've had a hard week. No, fundamentally, you are to engage the church for others. And this is where we are called then to be vulnerable. Because if we are humbly seeing others more significant than ourselves, then that must be up front. And when people 
hurt and offend you, it might make you uncomfortable. Yet you are called, or we are called to live on mission for others. And if the truth of God hurts us and offends us, we are called to come humbly and count the will of the Father more significant than ourselves. The gospel is supposed to produce a disciple who leaves our comfort for a selfless life. I thought this was pretty funny. I heard in a sermon as a joke. It was the best reason for the church was that was that that's where we learn to love our enemies. And he meant it as a joke, but there's some truth in that. That, again, as we're engaging with the church and as we're engaging with broken people, we ought to be ready to be hurt, to be offended maybe, but coming with a humble heart, coming and counting others more significant than ourselves is going to make the gospel shine. It's going to truly be the mission of what the church is supposed to be. So then he continues in verse 5 with the why. We saw the what, we saw the how, and now the why. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And I know that we can spend an entire series on just these few verses because there's so much in there. But what I'd want to point out, just for, for what the context that we're talking about today, is the parallel that Paul writes here. Because as we saw, conceit means a baseless pride, an emptiness, and a pride out of emptiness. But what we see that Jesus did is though he was eternally good, Though he was God from eternity past, he was in the Trinity, though he was triune with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, he emptied himself by taking the form of the servant. He humbled himself. And he counted the will and the glory of God more significant than any comfort he already had. Any comfort that we can't find here on this earth. The greatest comfort of all, he left it and humbled himself by counting the will of the Father more significant than himself. He didn't hold on to his position. He didn't clench his fists and say, no, I am God. I deserve this comfort. No, when God sent his son, he obeyed. And followed the will of the Father. He counted our redemption. He counted our redemption to the Father more significant than his own comfort. And we continue in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. This is where I'd like to stay for a little bit. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, Hebrews tells us that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. 
So how do we expect to learn obedience in our comfort? How do we expect to just come to church and take and take and be comfortable and not feel that discomfort and learn truly what God has in store for us? Because again, what we see here in scripture is that to to live that significant life that Christ is calling us to, to live that mission life, we are to count others more significant. And again, that will make us vulnerable people, vulnerable to, to hurt, vulnerable to offense. But the true gospel produces disciples who leave comfort for a selfless life. And church, there's a lot of ways to get uncomfortable here. And I mean that by, by engaging with the church, engage with the people I hope is that, that, that we sign up for community groups whenever we can, that we just call each other and share each other's burdens. We have the summer good read coming up. I think that's another way you might get uncomfortable. I know I don't like reading too much, but I can get uncomfortable by reading with somebody else for the summer. And in that way, we can truly live that significant life, that life on purpose. And yes, Jesus left his comfort, and we see that great example there. But I think the end of this passage also speaks into to this consumerism mindset. Therefore, because Christ humbled himself, because he emptied himself, because he took the form of a servant, because he was obedient to the point of death, therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Two things. God God positions Jesus where he deserves to be because he is worthy of that position. He has earned that position. And the way he did it was to to humble himself. But church, another thing is that Jesus today is serving the church. Jesus today is serving the Father. Though he has earned all praise, that he has earned all of this, the name above every other name, today Jesus is mediating for you and me. Is the blood that cleanses us and sanctifies us. Jesus today is glorifying the Father by showing us the glory of the Father. He isn't just sitting up there and lounging around like King David was at that time. But he, was, he is glorifying the Father. He is showing us the light and the knowledge of his glory. So church, again, how might this look like in our life? I hope is that I can encourage you all to engage with the church, to engage with others. That we make ourselves aware of how our wants and our desires might lead us away from people, might leave us secluded even as we're in a great, great space with a ton of people. The point is to engage others. And to engage the mission that Christ 
has called us to. And as we see today, that again, we come humbly and ready to count others more significant than ourselves. Let's pray, church. Father, just thank you for a time like this where where it feels so challenging, where it feels so challenging to, to be a follower of you. Though I know that you provide your goodness, I know that you provide your grace and mercy. So make this a people who are ready to live the significant life that you call us to. And that in that, that we might see the change you have for every household, for every workplace, for our city. Because a people like this is coming humbly and counting others more significant than ourselves and counting your will more significant than ourselves. It's a funny thing to pray for discomfort, but God, make us uncomfortable in any way that you might that, that you can call us into your work call us to be your people we pray all of this in jesus mighty mighty name amen